Another day and Democrats are burning down another city, this time Kenosha, Wisconsin. And the violence has become so radical that cops are now being knocked unconscious, being left in the ground after being hit with bricks. Used car dealerships are being burned to the ground because used cars apparently are tools of white supremacy or something like that. And uh, stores are being smashed and smashed and looted and vandalized, all in the name of social justice. But this is not about white supremacy or police brutality. What this is really about is Democrats burning down another city to try to win an election. We'll go all the way down. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment from yesterday comes from Kai Jukebox who said, Michael, I'm 17 and I'm taking sociology at the local community college this semester. We're already talking about Marx. The show has helped me stay sane in this indoctrination station the past three semesters. Thank you. I'm more than happy. I'm so glad to be a counterbalance to your sociology professor. Sociology, of course, one of the most left-wing fields. It's hard to even call it an academic discipline, but it goes very far left. The problem, by the way, is not reading Marx. The problem is that presumably you're, you're not being taught to understand Marx. <laughs> you should read Marx because Marx is a very important thinker in the history of Western thought, but you got to make sure that you understand Marx. A great book to help you understand Marx, by the way, is one that I just wrote the foreword to. Uh, just came out a couple weeks ago called The Devil and Karl Marx by Paul Kenger. Check that one out. Actually, if you, if you read that book, I think you'll be able to uh, look around America today and, and start to make sense of everything that's happening as another city goes up in flames, uh, which we will get to. This is all based on another officer-involved shooting. Uh, the, the story that you're being presented by the mainstream media is very, very, very different from the reality of what actually happened. We'll get to that in one second. First, though, got to thank our friends over at Rock Auto. You know me, you know that I don't know anything about cars, and yet I've had some car trouble in my life. So you, you, your car has some trouble, you go into the brick and mortar store, you say, yeah, I need the who's he what's for the whatchamacallit. And they say, okay, well, yeah, we don't have your part in stock, but uh, we're gonna go online and order it. They probably go to rockauto.com, but they charge you double anyway, and it's all very complicated. It's not very nice. That's why I love rock auto.com. So Rock Auto is a family company. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. 20 years. That's like the entire history of the internet. The thing I especially love about Rock Auto, first of all, always reliably low prices. So it's not like you've got to game it and say, okay, I'm going to buy this part on a Tuesday, but you know, on, on Thursday, the price is going to go back up. No, it's just reliably low. The other thing I love is their catalog is so simple that even I can understand it, that, which is, uh, that's a, a high bar. Right now, go to rockauto.com, see all the parts available for your car or truck. And then, most important of all, write Knowles in the How Did You Hear About Us box. Then they will know that we sent you, and that, that would be terrific. But head on over there. These guys, I really trust them. They're, they're always reliable. And most important, it's so simple, even I can do it. Democrats are burning down another city. I think today, if I didn't want to write another show today, sometimes writing the show takes a little bit of time. I could have just gone back to a show from a couple of weeks ago and switched the names of the cities. What was the last city they were burning down? I don't know, Atlanta or whatever. They're burning down. It seems like a different city every week. I could have dubbed in Kenosha, Wisconsin, this, the same exact script. It would have remained exactly the same. What happened? Uh, a man named Jacob Blake in Kenosha was filmed uh, walking away from the cops with guns. Uh, 
maybe you've seen the clip. You got the cops are, have got, got their guns trained on him. The guy's walking away, opens his car door, reaches into his car as the cops are telling him not to, and then the cops fire on the guy as he's reaching into his car. Raises some questions. If you are, for whatever reason, under arrest and you're resisting arrest, that is going to make this a very provocative and dangerous situation. And in virtually maybe every single one of these officer-involved killing cases, you've got the perpetrator resisting arrest, which automatically makes things more dangerous. But then, imagine, you've got multiple guns trained on you. Cops saying, stop, stop, don't go to work. And you're walking around cool as a cucumber, like you're just going to walk to that car. And by the way, this guy's children were, were in the car, so you're making this very dangerous situation for your children. And then he reaches into the car. What's he reaching in to get? We don't know. Problem is the cops didn't know either. Is he reaching in to grab a gun? I don't know. It seems like a very plausible situation. And so the cops at the very last moment fire their weapons. Because what are they supposed to do? Are you sp- if you're a cop and you've got this guy resisting arrest, walks in, reaches into his car, are you supposed to wait for him to grab a gun and turn around and point at you and fire it off a few times before you use force? Probably not. What are you going to do? Are you going to shoot him in the ankle and say, okay, well, I've wounded you now. You've learned your lesson. No, that's not how it works. If you're at the point where you've got to discharge your weapon, you're going to shoot to kill. By the way, I don't think this guy is dead. I think he's in a serious condition, but I I don't think they ended up killing him. So you've heard the clip. You've seen the clip. You've looked at what's happened. What is the news saying about this? I'm going to skim through this very quickly. This is the Chicago Tribune, and this coverage is typical of how the mainstream media are covering the the story. Jacob Blake, shot by police officer in Kenosha, part of Evanston family long associated with community activism. Community activism, what does that mean? The story opens with 554 words about this guy. I'll just give you some of the highlights. Jacob Blake, who was shot by a police officer in Kenosha on Sunday, grew up in Evanston as part of a family with deep ties to local community activism. Then it describes the video, but it doesn't describe it too specifically. It says there's unrest, you know, now that's that's going on. Unrest is code word for people are burning down car dealerships and looting and throwing bricks at cops' heads. It describes the video a little bit more, but not too specifically. Uh, As of Monday, Blake was in serious condition. Blake's family's Uh, been active in and around Evanston for generations, said his uncle, Justin Blake, while en route to the hospital where Jacob Blake is being treated. He's a lively young man. He's like his father, my brother, Justin Blake said. So one thing you notice about the article, the only source they ever refer to is this guy's uncle. Justin Blake said that. He's got a hell of a personality and he loves people. He moved to the Kenosha Racine area a few years ago for a job and family, his uncle said. It was a safer location. He could work and try to save and build for a better life, Justin Blake said. So how many times is it going to say, the uncle said this, the uncle said that? Uh, Journalists used to go out and and, uh, get multiple sources and try to construct the story themselves, not allow people who are the object of the story and their relatives to write the story. He loves sports, music, and architecture. Played football and basketball at Evanston Township High School. What does any of this have to do with the story? But Jacob Blake didn't forget his roots, and he returned often to volunteer with his uncle at Black Urban Recycling in Chicago, an organization that collects aluminum cans from senior centers, veterans groups, and elsewhere to recycle them and raise money for a community center in the Inglewood neighborhood, Justin Blake said. Man, this guy sounds like the greatest guy on earth, right? Why on earth would the cops shoot this guy? Why were they even there? 
Oh my God, this is a setup. This is white supremacy. This is police brutality. It has to be, right? That's the picture the mainstream media are painting. The veterans love it when he comes around because he's always polite and perky, his uncle said. Man, his uncle's sure got a lot to say. Jacob Blake's grandfather, also named Jacob Blake, served as pastor of Ebenezer AME Church in Evanston and was a local leader in the civil rights movement, according to Chicago Tribune Archives. After the death of Martin Luther King Jr., the Reverend Jacob Blake helped organize and spoke to a crowd of 3,000 Evanston residents who marched in support of a local comprehensive housing law. Man, this guy's like Martin Luther King Jr., for goodness sakes. Can you believe these white supremacist racist cops did this for, with no reason, no provocation whatsoever? It goes on for like another 150 or 200 words. Talk, talks about... Uh, the, these various buildings that were trying to get people out of the slums, these, all, all this wonderful work that this man's family's done. 542 words later. Court records show Blake has a pending criminal case that started last month. Online court records indicate Kenosha County prosecutors charged Blake on July 6th with third-degree sexual assault, trespassing, and disorderly conduct in connection with domestic abuse. An arrest warrant was issued for Blake the next day. Huh. Oh. So it doesn't sound like all that stuff that the uncle said and how he's wonderful and how he's always helping old ladies cross the street and how he's picking up trash and, and litter and aluminum cans. Maybe that's not the story. Maybe the story is there's a warrant out for his arrest because of sexual assault, trespassing, and domestic abuse. And it's not that the media completely ignore it. It's not that the media completely lie about it. It's that they bury the actual, the only actual news, the only relevant information in that story. They bury it almost 550 words into the story. Most articles on the internet, by the way, are, are fewer than 550 words. So you'd read a whole story's worth before you'd get to any relevant information. There it is. You probably, you probably haven't heard that information if you're watching the mainstream media to hear about this case. So what are the Democrats saying? Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, some of the local, the local elected Democrats. We'll get into that because they're certainly not focusing on the relevant aspects of that case. First, though, I got to thank our friends over at Paint Your Life. PaintYourLife.com, man. This, what an amazing service this is. So you know, I, I ordered one of these uh, maybe two years ago for my stepbrother. What is Paint Your Life? You upload a photo, they get one of their world-class artists to make an actual oil painting or any, any other kind of painting too. I just happen to like the oil. They do this beautiful painting out of it. You're working with the artist every step of the way. You get to see proofs. They do a great job framing also. And, and you get it. I was skeptical that this could possibly look good. Then I get my stepbrothers and I think, oh my gosh, I'm so envious. Why didn't I get one for me? So I, I just did it. I, I just did one for a, a relative of mine who died when I was young. And I, you know, I'm thinking about um, my home, future generations of Knowles's. I really want people to uh, be, be able to know this relative, you know. So what more special way than to have a portrait painted? Uh, I, I just uploaded that. I'm waiting for it now. We're working with the artist. It's just terrific. It's wonderful. It can be a deceased relative, a loved relative who's still alive, a pet, a favorite place, anything. These guys are the best. Please, uh, so you've got it right now. Uh, go to Paint Your Life. Dot com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded. No big deal. Guaranteed. Right now is a limited time offer. You get 20% off your painting, 20% off, and free shipping. To get the special offer, text the word Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, to 64,000. That is M-I-C-H-A-E-L to 64,000. Michael to 64,000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. How do you think 
The Democrats, the elected Democrats are covering this shooting. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in a joint statement. Yesterday in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Jacob Blake was shot seven times in the back as police attempted to restrain him from getting into his car. His children watched from inside the car and bystanders watched in disbelief. His children that he walked toward while he was resisting arrest, while he was reaching into his car. And this morning, the nation wakes up yet again with grief and outrage that yet another black American is a victim of excessive force. So they're already saying right now, this is, this is excessive force, right? In special investigators, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they, they've already concluded that. Forget any other investigations. This calls for an immediate, full and transparent investigation. The officers must be held accountable. These shots pierce the soul of our nation. Yet another black American. We, we went through the numbers. How many black Americans were killed unarmed last year by the police? The early number that came out that we were looking at was nine. The highest number we've seen is 15. Not 9,000, not 15,000. Between nine and 15. And by the way, unarmed does not mean not dangerous. It does not mean that the shooting was not justified. We're talking about a very, very small number of people in all of the civilian police encounters throughout the year. This is not a systemic problem. This is not endemic at all. This is completely, as a national political issue, contrived by cynical Democrats who want to gin up racial division and burn down American cities. They say equal justice has not been real for black Americans and for so many others. We're at an inflection point. We must dismantle systemic racism. It is an urgent task before us. We must fight to honor the ideals laid in the original American promise, which we are yet to attain, that all men and women are created equal, but more importantly, that they must be treated equally. This is a complete, a complete misunderstanding of the American founding. First of all, they say we have to dismantle systemic racism. Who controls the system? Who controls the administrative government, the mainstream media, higher education, lower education, Hollywood? Who controls all of it? Who controls every single institution in America? Democrats. And yet we're supposed to trust them to dismantle the system that they preside over. And what does it mean, the equality principle? All men are created equal. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. You know, you know the thing, that equality principle. What does that mean? A lot of people don't understand it. Some people deny that it's a self-evident truth. Some people say it hasn't been attained yet. Actually, that the equality principle is self-evident in a very technical, logical way. It, it, John Adams explains this very well. It is a self-evident truth that all men are created equal because all men are equally men. A self-evident truth here is something which contains the evidence for its truth in itself. And the statement that all men are created equal is self-evidently true because we know, looking around, that all men are equally men. So that, that has been realized. That's very clearly been realized. But now all, all people have to be treated exactly equally? Well, what does that mean? Should you be treated equally under the law on the basis of race? Yes, and, and you are, by the way. You are actually, except for the one aspect of legal racial discrimination that we have, which is called affirmative action, which disadvantages white and Asian applicants to colleges, and it gives benefit to Hispanic and black applicants to colleges, which the DOJ, Office of Civil Rights, right now is looking into. Kind of a side point, and certainly not the, the narrative that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are trying to say. They're trying to push. What does this mean in this case? What, like, what does this case tell us about the state of racial relations and equality under the law? Nothing. 
Nothing. We don't know anything about this case. What we do know, namely that this guy was resisting arrest, he was only shot at the very last minute when he was reaching into his car, that his kids happened to be in, by the way, and that there was a warrant out for his arrest on sexual assault and domestic violence. The more evidence we see, the more evidence that this arrest was justified. There's no evidence that I've seen whatsoever that this is police brutality, white supremacy, any of that nonsense. So, are Joe Biden and Kamala Harris lying? Are they just misguided here? Or, or are they the third option, which is what I think is true? Are they totally cynical? Do they not care whether this, is, this narrative is true or false? Do they just push it because it's a very effective story in their playbook? This is obviously the latter. This is what they do. This is what they do before elections, is they gin up completely contrived racial injustice controversies, and then they burn down cities. And they burn down cities because they think that this is going to help them in November. They think that they can only win a tribal war. They can't win on the field of ideas. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. They can't win by making logical arguments, which is presupposed by free government. Our constitutional system requires that we make persuasive, logical arguments to one another. They know they can't win that way. They have no argument to make. So instead, they've got to burn down cities and get things so scary and so tribal that the people that they believe on the basis of their tribe are going to vote for them are going to be encouraged to vote for them. Sean King, activist with the BLM movement, tweets out that he's not going to call for peace. He says, I'm not going to call for peace. Nah, we've tried peace for years. Y'all don't understand that language. We are calling for a complete dismantling of American policing. It's not broken. It was built to work this way. And mayhem is the consequence. You earned it. You earned it. We're going to burn down your cities. We're going to burn down and dismantle American policing. What do they mean by policing? Do they mean they're going to burn down one or two bad cops that you can maybe point to? No. They're going to burn down and they're going to dismantle policing in general. But policing is a symbol. The police are a symbol for the American system of law and order. So what he's really saying here is, we're going to dismantle the American law. We're going to dismantle the American legal tradition. We're going to dismantle the criminal justice system. And then what's gonna happen? Then we, the radical left, are going to control things. That's what this is all about. I think some squishy conservative types, they'll say, okay, well look, I'll defend George Washington. I'll defend Thomas Jefferson but I'm not going to defend the police. Everybody hates the police. It's the same thing. Those are symbols for the same thing. George Washington is a symbol. Thomas Jefferson is a symbol. Alexander Hamilton, James Madison. They are symbols of our constitutional system, of our legal framework, of our country. You know what the police are? They're symbols of the exact same thing. That is what this is all about. And we're going back to a position now where university dorms are being racially segregated where people are only shopping at businesses that share their their racial tribal affiliations. There's a woman who was very upset because she went into a boba tea place. Boba tea. You know boba tea? It's that tea that has those weird little balls in it and you kind of, I don't know, it's kind of nice. Anyway, it's it's an Asian beverage. Woman walks into this store, which is run by Asians, and she's very upset because the boba tea place is not a black owned business. Take a listen. 
This establishment is uh, not black owned, but using you're stealing black culture. Is this not black culture? Trap tea, the boba plug? No, you're thieves. Asian Asian people stealing black black culture once again. Once again. It's okay, you'll be exposed though. You're not black owned. You're stealing black culture. Thank You're you for coming. Black culture. You for no, I came here because I thought it was black owned. That's why I came here to my friends. I'm supporting a black business. This is not black owned. You're not, this is not black owned. Asian stealing, stealing black culture. Once again, uh, you're a coon. Don't talk. I'm a coon. Because I didn't know it was black owned. Because I did. I already did. But I'm tired of people. Because you're a coon. Okay, so it goes on from there. I think you get the idea. She's arguing at the end with this black guy who says, hey, lady, you're, you're in an Asian joint. Why are you screaming about how it's not a black-owned business? And then she calls him a racial slur because he doesn't have his tribal solidarity, which the Democrats are trying to gin up because they think it's the only way they can win the election. I think I'm going to walk into General Tsao's Chinese chicken palace and demand that it be, become a Sicilian-owned business. Why is this Chinese joint not Sicilian-owned? I only eat at Sicilian-owned businesses. I probably wouldn't be able to eat at very many places if I only went to Sicilian-owned businesses, right? But one of the nice things about America is we don't have to check someone's racial pedigree before we go in and buy a sandwich or a cup of iced tea. But that's the point that the left wants us to get to. By the way, what does it mean to be a black-owned business? Because it's not just this kooky lady who goes into the shop. This is not some fringe thing. Uber Eats was giving special privileges to black-owned businesses. You didn't have to pay a delivery fee if you aided a black-owned business. They were actually giving out privileges based on race. Well, you know, what if your business, say, has gives equity to five people, and someone who owns 1% of the business is black, and then the people who own the other 99% of the business are like the whitest people in the world. Is that a black-owned business? A black guy owns part of it. How are we going to do what if it's a What if it's a guy who's half black and half uh, Jewish. I don't know. Uh, how, how, how is that going to work? How are we going to plug that into the, the racial victimhood calculator and figure out exactly how much of that business we should, we should shop at? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. What it boils down to here, what this woman's argument is, is that it's cultural appropriation. Now, I don't think that boba tea comes from from Africa or from, you know, the, the American plantation before the Civil War or something like that, but she's calling it cultural appropriation. Even if the point she were making, even if the premise that Boba tea is, is somehow black, even if that were true, cultural appropriation is a very good thing. In fact, all culture has to be appropriated. This is a big lie that the left doesn't seem, probably they don't understand it because they don't know what culture is. Culture relates to the word cultivation. Relates to the word cult, for instance, right? You cultivate something in yourself. I was not born loving Beethoven. Believe it or not, even though, you know, I don't think my mother ever played baby Beethoven for me now. I think some like bourgeois white mothers do this in the cities. They play Beethoven to their stomachs and they think their, their kids are going to become really smart and sophisticated this way. I did not have that. I was not born listening to Beethoven, but I like Beethoven very much. Why? Because I cultivated that taste. I was not born smoking cigars. I may as well have been because I started at an early age, but I cultivated that taste. I cultivated my appreciation of certain art, cultivated my appreciation of certain literature. I, I was not born reading Italian. Is that cultural appropriation? I guess it is, but it's great because now I get to read Dante. All cultural is, is appropriated. It's, by the way, the premise of, of immigration and assimilation in America. 
We have the most open, we have a ridiculously open immigration system in America, uh, which most people, by the way, want to dramatically curtail across racial groups. But part of the reason we have any functioning immigration system at all is based on assimilation, that you have to come in and appropriate the American culture. And the American culture, and you have to give up some culture too when you do that. What this woman is saying is no, we're going to have a pedigree test, we're going to check your blood, see exactly what percentage black you are. Cultural appropriation is really good. Who invented pasta? Speaking of the Italians, was it the Italians? We actually don't know. Was it the Italians? Was it the Chinese? Was it somewhere in the middle? We don't know. We just like it. It's good. I'm glad. Now everybody has pasta. It's cultivating oneself. But we're not allowed to have that. We're moving in the opposite direction. We, we have a completely degraded culture, and the culture is decaying more and more by the day. And we have, at, at the same time, coincidentally, divvying up racial groups. So even down in Chicago, you've got Chicago's mayor, Lori Lightfoot, who is presiding over essentially a failed state in America, right? And this woman is the machine politician who's running it. She's looking closely at what's happening in Kenosha. That's what, that's, that's, they're, they're monitoring the situation. They're urging civil and criminal authorities in Kenosha to investigate the incident. I'm so glad that Lori Lightfoot and Chicago is on the case. You know how many individual shootings happened in Chicago over the weekend? 66. There was one officer involved shooting here because a man resisted arrest and reached into his car when they told him not to at the very last minute. There's one of those in Kenosha. 66 shootings in Chicago, not a word. They don't seem to be monitoring that. They don't seem to be looking very closely at that because they don't give a damn. They don't care if one of these people dies or if all of these people die. It's not about that at all. Lori Lightfoot does not lose one second sleep over the killing, or I suppose not killing, the shooting of this guy, Mr. Blake. It's just a tool. And, and it's amazing because there are still some conservatives who don't see it, so they, they feel really pressured to prove to these awful Democrats, you know, that they're not racist. And they say, Black Lives Matter, it's terrible. There's a scourge of, of police brutality where racist white supremacists are gunning down all these innocent black men. That isn't happening. This is a, this is a cynical strategy being implemented for the election. You're going to see this go away after November 3rd. It'll crop up again. I mean, these things happen, but it's not going to be a major news story. And it goes so much further than the shootings. Right now, there's a group of black professors in universities who are demanding the abolition of English, the language, the English language. White mainstream English is how they describe it. A subcommittee of an organization called the Conference on College Composition and Communication named itself Why We Can't Breathe. Uh, That's the subcommittee. They published a list of demands calling for the abolition of white mainstream English to make way for black linguistic justice. That's the new one. I, I thought that these euphemisms couldn't get crazier after, uh, after Julian Castro during the 2020 Democratic presidential primary called for reproductive justice for trans women, meaning men who can't have children, but they basically called for abortions for men using all this cockamamie language with the word justice. But we've gotten a little, black linguistic justice, what is that? Well, the first issue you might see here is that when we refer to white mainstream English as a terrible thing, you might recall that English is not just a language, English is also a people known for that language, and the English people are very, very white. So you can't, you cannot separate uh, the history of the English language from white people because the English are white. (laughs) But I I suppose this is a great injustice that the English are white. The English should have looked different than the English do. 
Six authors include a Michigan State professor, a Cal State professor, Cal State Fullerton. Cal State always goes really far left on these things. A Boston University professor, Texas Christian University professor, and a University of Alabama at Birmingham scholar. Here's the statement. In case you've forgotten what we mean when we say Black Lives Matter, we stand with the words of the three radical black organizers and freedom fighters dreamers, quote unquote, Alicia Garza, Patrice Colors, and Opal Tometi, who created the historic political project Black Lives Matter. Those are explicitly the three women who are self-described trained Marxists. You saw, you saw that video of uh, Pat- Patrice Colors coming out and saying, yeah, me and Alicia were trained Marxists. Then you saw photos of Opal Tometi smiling with the communist dictator of Venezuela, among, among other communist provocations. This is all part of a plan. The plan is to undermine Western civilization. We said earlier that the police were stand-in for American law. Well, here, white mainstream English is a stand-in for the, the, the very method of communication, the very idea that we can have objective communication. They, they go for language on the left. They focus on it with political correctness. They focus on it with cancel culture. They focus on it here with the abolition of English for, for one reason. If you can talk to one another across racial groups, sexual groups, national groups, if you can speak to one another, then you can have objective conversation and debate. The the only way you and I can communicate right now is because there is an objective reality outside of me and you that we are using symbols called words and letters to refer to so we can use our faculties of reason, which perceive objective reality, to discuss that thing and try to get a closer handle on it. If the left wants to destroy that kind of politics, that authentic politics, self-government, debate, they've got to destroy language which they have been trying to do now for at least 100 years, and which these authors, who I, who I suspect are somewhat intelligent and somewhat educated, they know exactly what they're doing. Because they're not even just using the slogan, which a lot of squishy people who are ignorant of the subject say. They say Black Lives Matter. They don't know that it's a radical Marxist group. These professors calling for the abolition of English are naming the Marxists. They know exactly what they're doing. That's the point. That's the point. And lest you need just a a cherry on top of this proof that the Democrats don't care a whit about racial justice and that all of this is just about burning down the country for the election. Joe Biden just picked up an endorsement of the most well-known, self-described, white identitarian, which you would call the most uh, clear white racist in the country, Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer, who they always peg on Trump, even though he doesn't support Trump, has now endorsed Joe Biden. The media has gone completely quiet over it. We will, we will get to what that means in just a second. We will get to the RNC, which kicked off last night. First, though, I've got to thank you. Thank you for subscribing to the Michael Knowles Show YouTube channel. We appreciate it. It's good to give Ben, you know, those clicks and stuff on the Daily Wire YouTube channel, but it's, frankly, for me, I consider it really wonderful when you go over to the Michael Knowles Show YouTube channel. Also, we're going to be covering the RNC Tonight, uh, you can hang out with Drew Clavin. He's going to be giving his all-access view of the RNC. I will be doing that later in the week, and then we'll have a backstage where we can all chat about it and argue and laugh at the RNC. So we can, we can do that later. And head on over right now. If you are not an all-access member, that is our top tier of membership. If you subscribe, you will get not one but two Leftist Tears tumblers. You get to chat with us, the hosts and the writers and, and the whole team, and then all the other all-access members in the all-access in the discussions. We have a great time doing it. Plus, you'll get 20% off right now. 
Go to dailywire.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Use the code ACCESS. You'll get 20% off and not one but two leftist years tumblers. We will get to the white identitarian endorsement of Joe Biden. We will get to the RNC. Stick around for a lot more. Richard Spencer, the well-known white identitarian, endorses Joe Biden. He tweets out, quote, I plan to vote for Biden and a straight Democratic ticket. It's not based on accelerationism or anything like that. The liberals are clearly more competent people. The word accelerationism, we actually mentioned it a little bit maybe a week ago. It refers to this Marxist concept about the acceleration of contradictions within the capitalist system, within our traditional system, that basically the seeds of our civilization are are built in, uh, the seeds of our own destruction are built in, and so eventually you're going to see these contradictions and the the civilization is going to collapse. This is occasionally picked up, sometimes ironically or tongue-in-cheek, by uh, various other groups who are not explicitly Marxist. In this case, it's this white identitarian who's referring to, uh, presumably is referring to this acceleration, specifically on racial grounds. But he's saying it's actually not that. In other words, he's not going to vote for Biden so that things get way worse and then the whole system will collapse and we'll either become Marxist or we'll become fascist or we'll become, we'll go back to the feudal ages. or what. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm voting for the Democrats because they're more competent people. More competent. What does that mean? We're saying the nation doesn't burn down under Democrats. This is the same argument that Joe Biden has been making, right? Joe Biden, when the country was being lit on fire a few months ago, for the, for the first time this cycle, he said, we can't take four more years of this. That was a threat. Who's doing the burning? It's not Republicans. It's not, it's not white supremacists. It's not, the Democrats are doing the burning and Antifa and Black Lives Matter. And they're saying, look, vote for us and we'll stop burning the country down. And I actually think that's what Spencer is seeing here. He says, look, the country doesn't burn when Democrats are in charge. Now, it's an extortion racket is what, what the Democrats are doing. But he says, yeah, whatever. And he, he doesn't have any particular love for, for Donald Trump because Donald Trump's not a white identitarian, no matter what the mainstream media try to say about him. Next time they call Trump the candidate of the racists, the white identitarians, whatever, and make sure you remind them that Richard Spencer just unironically endorsed Joe Biden. So who's endorsing Donald Trump? Who's speaking? The RNC kicked off. They got a big, long speaker lineup. Uh, I'll, give, I'll give some thoughts on the RNC generally, but they, they did have some big winners here, one of whom uh, we spoke to. I was, it was either on my show or I may have been filling in for Ben Shapiro's show, but I spoke to Mark McCloskey. He's the uh, one half of the gun couple in St. Louis that defended their lives and property when an armed mob broke through their gates and threatened them. And you'll remember he was wearing that pink polo shirt and those white chinos. And I felt he should be on the next Brooks Brothers catalog cover, but they're probably not going to put him there. So he and his wife, the McCloskeys, went out and they gave a rousing speech at the RNC. Take a listen. America is such a great country that not only do you have the right to own a gun and use it to defend yourself, but thousands of Americans will offer you free advice on how to use it. At least that's what we experienced. What you saw happen to us could just as easily happen to any of you who are watching from quiet neighborhoods around our country. And that's what we want to speak to you about tonight. That's exactly right. Whether it's the defunding of police Ending cash bail so criminals can be released back out on the streets the same day to riot again. 
or encouraging anarchy and chaos on our streets. It seems as if the Democrats no longer view the government's job as protecting honest citizens from criminals, but rather protecting criminals from honest citizens. Not a single person in the out-of-control mob you saw at our house was charged with a crime. But you know who was? We were. We were. This was a very, very effective speech. This, this was one of, if not the most effective speech during the whole convention. Why? It opened up with humor, right? You saw the woman, she goes, listen, when you, when you become a national uh, viral sort of superstar because the mob comes after you, uh, you'll get a lot of people giving you advice. Some of them are giving you advice on how to hold a gun because people were making fun of them for <laughs> brandishing their weapons all over the place. Uh, it was funny. It, it contained a legitimate warning for what's going on right now, and it focused on the leftist inversion of justice. What a great tool at the end there. He says, the marauding criminals who broke onto my property weren't thrown in jail. You know who they're threatening to throw in jail? Me. And by the way, if they're threatening to throw me in jail, they're threatening to throw you in jail. I loved this. I loved the choice of having them speak. A more cautious convention would not have had them speak because they're just regular people, right? They're just people who are, we only know their names because the mob, both in the literal physical mob and then the online mob, came for them one day. But this is what the GOP's got to do. They've got to point to, to regular old people. And by the way, that doesn't mean a certain class of people or a certain race of people. The McCloskeys are very, very wealthy. It's actually part of why they were targeted in the first place by the mob. Doesn't matter. We can all identify with the McCloskeys because they're not known for their wealth. What they're known for is the mob coming after them. And the RNC giving a voice to those kinds of people who feel that no one's speaking for them, whether they're a zillionaire or whether they're a factory worker, when they're being come at unjustly, that is a very effective strategy. You know, the de Democrats learned a little bit, or the Republicans rather learned a little bit from the Democrats from their convention, which was super produced and and it, it just didn't work. It was very boring. So the Republicans, for most of the speeches, had people just come up to a podium, give a speech. But they didn't learn enough because the speeches, first of all, didn't have a crowd, so it sounded kind of weird. They'd give these rousing lines and then nobody's applauding. And they were a little too divorced from reality and they were a little too polished. And they, they, weren't, ah, they weren't speaking in many ways to the issues that we've got right now. But some, some were. I mean, some, some moments were. We're not going to go through every single speech. And, you know, obviously everybody out here is trying to do their best job. The Republicans are trying to go out there and, and uh, win the election. So I, I want to just focus on people that you might not have heard. The McCloskeys, for one. And then uh, this, this great guy, Maximo Alvarez. Maximo Alvarez, uh, who comes out. He's another guy you probably haven't heard of. And he speaks about his experience uh, his perspective from outside of America, then looking into America at the Democratic ticket. There's no place to hide. I'm speaking to you today because President Trump may not always be politically correct. He's in fact a successful businessman, near your average career politician. Our president is just another family man, a friend, a most important our elected commander-in-chief who puts America first. Keep in mind the other guy running for president is mostly concerned about power. Yes, yes, power for them, but not for the benefit of all Americans. I'm speaking to you today because I have seen people like this before. I've seen movements like this before. I've seen ideas like this before. 
And I am here to tell you, we cannot let them take over our country. He's seen it before. What's he referring to? He's referring to Fidel Castro. He's referring to these people who are now openly campaigning in the name of Marxism. <laughs> Even though we thought they were just liberals, but, but many of them now are openly campaigning in the name of Marxism and in the name of Marxists. And he calls it out. People like to see that. We all like to see our kind of favorite political celebrities. That there, there's, sometimes that's interesting, but much, much more important this year. We, we just want to see people speaking the truth. When he says that the Democrats are running to get more power, in a way, this is like a truism, right? Because people run for office to have power to do things. But he says, but they're not, they're not interested in using power for the benefit of all Americans. And that's true. That's undeniably true. Whether you think Trump is good at using power or not, it seems clear to me he is exercising power for all Americans. One of the few themes he comes back to again and again is, we all bleed the same blood of patriots. We all need to have national loyalty. We all need to be able to speak our minds in public because it's the only way we can have self-government. It's the only way we can have unity. And what do the Democrats say? They say, uh, black people can never get ahead in America. You should burn down cities. We shouldn't be peaceful. Some, some of the politicians, and I say, by the way, only some are still calling for people remaining peaceful. Others are not. Do you remember when, uh, when Chris Cuomo, uh, Fredo Cuomo on CNN, said, well, show me where it says that assemblies have to be peaceful. You say, well, it's in the Constitution, first of all. <laughs> it's right there in the First Amendment. But even openly on CNN saying, yeah, maybe you can be violent. Maybe it's a good thing to be violent. Sean King saying, go out there, be violent. Hillary Clinton saying, you can't be civil with people who disagree with you. Right? The list, Maxine Waters saying, go mob Republicans where you see them, wherever you see them in the streets. They're saying, go out there. When we win, we're going to be good for our people and bad for your people, Republicans. You don't, this is not an issue where the two sides are, are equal here. This is an issue where one side says they want to help all Americans. The other side said they only want to help, they only want to help Democrats. So what do they do? They try to burn down the country. They try to delegitimize the election. They've got all these cockamamie conspiracy theories about the post office. The Democrats who are trying to steal the election through widespread mail-in ballots are now saying that Republicans are trying to steal the election by defunding the post office that they just gave $10 billion to. The Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, just came out and tried to pour some water on these conspiracy theories. As part of this conversation, there are many inaccuracies about my actions that I wish to again correct. First, I did not direct the removal of blue collection boxes or the removal of mail processing equipment. Second, I did not direct the cutback on hours at any of our postal, post offices. And finally, I did not direct the elimination or any cutback in overtime. I did, however, suspend these practices to, to remove any misperceptions about our commitment to delivering the nation's election mail. Any further assertions by the media or elected officials is furthering a false narrative to the American people. Of course, of course that's the case, uh, but the, the left doesn't care. They're going to, I don't think that they're pushing conspiracy theories because they think they true, or they're true. I don't think they're pushing conspiracy theories because they even know that they're false. I think they're pushing conspiracy theories because they just don't care. And they're more than willing to burn down the country or threaten to burn down our body politic to win an election. And they just don't care and they're just going to do it. That's the threat. What do we call this kind of violence against <laughs> 
metaphorical violence against our political system and literal violence in the streets. What do we call it? The word that keeps cropping up is senseless. You always hear senseless violence whenever it suits a narrative. Right now, let's take it all the way to the religious level. We always quote Henry Cardinal Manning on this show, who said that at bottom all conflict is theological. Right now throughout the West, churches are being burned down. Right now on earth, uh, Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world. Right now, people are being attacked at churches. This just happened in Philadelphia. Philly Police Department is uh, trying to find a woman who hit a female lector in the face during a Sunday morning Novus Ordo Mass in the Cathedral Basilica of Saints Peter and Paul. This is a Catholic Mass. Someone comes up and socks the woman in the face. The Philadelphia Archbishop, Nelson Perez, says, during the 11 a.m. Mass, uh, which was broadcast live via my Facebook page and Archdiocesan Vimeo channel, a senseless act of aggression took place. One of the lectors was punched by someone in the congregation as she left the altar. Senseless act of aggression. Is it senseless? The people who are perpetrating this violence are, are trying to bring about senselessness. They're trying to bring about a politics, a culture, and a religious world in which we can't debate anything where language itself is taken from us, where we can't refer to objective reality, where there is said to be no such thing as objective truth, only your truth and my truth and my feelings and my oppression and my passions that I'm going to vent by burning down the country. They're, they're trying to affect senselessness. But the way in which they're trying to do that, it's highly sensible, highly reasonable, highly logical. They know that they cannot win in, in a traditional debate, in a, in a traditional discussion in traditional self-government. So they're trying to burn down the edifice. We should be highly sensitive to that plan, to that tactic. That, that is a real strategy. And unless we wake up to the logic of that strategy, we're going to lose logic and reason and sensible political debate. And then we're going to lose our self-government. That's what they're trying to push forward. It's only going to get worse until November 3rd. That's our show. Let's hope we can keep it together until then. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. The Republican convention begins and the media is there to make sure you don't hear anything they don't want you to hear, like the truth. But you'll hear that on The Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven.